Hi, everyone. This is Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Chris Ward, co-founder and scientific officer at Myologica, Dr. Ramsey Kerala, co-founder and president of Myologica, and Dr. Sharon Hesterly, EVP and chief research officer at the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Dr. Ward, Dr. Kerala, and Dr. Hesterly recently joined us for a webinar to talk about key consideration in the design of rigorous preclinical studies in rodent models of muscular dystrophy, including animal model selection, assays and endpoints, and how your results can inform translation to the clinic. All right, let's get right into it. first question here is for Ramsey. If you are looking for someone to do uh, these kinds of muscle experiments, what kind of expertise would you be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. So in general, a lot of the therapies are developed in-house starting in vitro. And so a lot of people have a muscle background looking at cell lines or whatnot or isolated cells, but not a lot of people have a physiology background. And that's really what I think is the most important when running a, a animal study is to have physiology background to be able to integrate your results from the assays in the context of a complex animal system. While these are muscle assays or, or muscle-related assays, integrating them in the whole animal and understanding how the physiology of the animal impacts your results can greatly strengthen your ability to understand your data. Excellent. Great answer. Next question, and Sharon, you talked about histology a bit, uh, but what should histology look like in a muscular dystrophy study? Right. So we mostly, um, we just kind of barely touched on that. I think on one of my slides um, where I talked about the things that you can measure, fibrosis, central nucleation, fiber size changes. I would just emphasize that quantification of these things is, is very important. It needs to be done carefully and done well. Other than that, I'm going to pitch it back over to Ramsey maybe to comment a little further on the histology that you can do. Yeah. So, and you, you mentioned all the main things that are looked at in muscular dystrophy. One important thing is most of these, such as central nucleation or fibrosis, take, you know, a change over longer periods of time. These are not variables that will change over uh, a four week course of treatment or won't change appreciably over a four week course of treatment. I'm thinking more specifically central nucleation. When, if you, if those are some of your endpoints that you're looking at, keep it in mind in your design that if you want to see a change in fibrosis, you might have to wait longer or start your treatment earlier and prevent fibrosis rather than revert it. So histology can be an important tool, but just like a lot of these assays, careful quantification and understanding of the variable is very important. Excellent. Next question coming in from Justin, who's asked, well, what's the difference in tension between mouth muscles and hind limb muscle? Ramsey, maybe I'll, so I'll direct this one to you. It's tough to compare because when you're doing jaw clench, so mouth masseter, you're looking at torque over on the arm, whereas in if you're doing the hind muscle in vivo as opposed to in situ, you're looking at torque along the ankle. So in general, actually, the masseter will produce uh, as much or more force than plantar flexion. 
but I don't think that you can directly compare them because torque along the ankle is much more limited than the clench. So, but just think about it like a rat or a mouse, they've been known to be able to chew through metal. So th those muscles are very, very strong. And I do, I did mention that we're assaying masseter and that's not completely correct in that when you stimulate the trigeminal nerve to get the jaw clench, you're actually getting masseter, both superior and anterior, or anterior and posterior. You're getting temporalis, and you're getting a contribution of a couple of other accessory muscles. It's tough to say, you know, you can't really express it as muscle-specific force by looking just at the weight of the masseter or the weight uh, or the cross-sectional area of the masseter because there, because there are other muscles. But in general, the, the tension is actually pretty comparable, which is surprising given the, the muscle differences. The, the mouth muscles are smaller than the hind limb muscles. Excellent. Great answer. All right. Well, here's a, a question from Gerald, who has asked, regarding fibrosis studies, what do you think would be the most appropriate functional study? Ramsey, maybe I'll direct Yeah, this. so this is a, a slightly more uh, difficult question to answer, but... Usually when people think fibrosis, they think tissue mechanical properties. The one thing that we've previously done in our lab when looking at muscle properties, not in particular with fibrosis, but I think it would, it would track nicely is to look at the stiffness of the muscle. So you can do either a single stretch or a varying sinusoid and try to determine what is the elastic modulus of your muscle. You can also press on your muscle using like a, a modified AFM approach to see whether transverse stiffness is higher versus pulling on your muscle, looking at passive tension. If, if your passive tension, you get axial stiffness differences. While not a one-to-one -one measure, those would be more likely very correlated to changes in fibrosis. Perfect. Here's a, a good Question, what about electromyographic tests for mouse models? Can you comment on these at all? Maybe Ramsey, I'll direct that one to you. Yeah, so this is a, so it's one of the assays that's done, but it's a, a little less common, mostly because it's fairly challenging. As you can imagine, mouse muscles are much smaller than human muscles. So in, in, so in humans where it's commonly done, you can basically put your electrodes almost anywhere and get your a nice recording for that muscle. In the mouse, you're either isolating the muscle to get your, your EMG independent, or if you're trying to do it in vivo, you need to be very careful. I'm not quite sure. Maybe Sharon can comment on the translation of mouse EMGs compared to humans. Yeah, I mean, that's just not typically an endpoint that would you would use in a human clinical study. And they're used diagnostically, but not even that much anymore as people move primarily to genetics. So I'm not sure what the relevance would be to the human study. Excellent. What are your thoughts on combining MRI of the muscle uh, like an, and other non-invasive technologies to combine them with histology and muscle function tests to some extent does this you know does this provide an effective way of measuring it and does it help with translation ramsey maybe i'll direct that to you also so i'm going to start with our our personal experience with mri is that in mice mri is very labor intensive if you want to do it properly and and relatively expensive 
Next is the analysis, and, and I'm mostly thinking of diffuser tensor imaging that our collaborator Rich Lovering does exclu- exquisitely well. But in our conversation with Rich, he, he, he usually will stress the fact that what you see is not fibrosis, is not inflammation. It's just increase in signal. Now you can kill the animal, pull the muscle, see that you have increased fibrosis or increased inflammatory cell, and then say, oh, well, what we saw on the MRI is this, but it's really not a one-to-one. All you're seeing is kind of more T2 signal. And the, the other part is the analysis, tracing muscles in 3D and you have tools that are coming up that try to do it automated, but it's pretty difficult uh, to do, especially in disease models where your MRIs aren't as clean. In a wild type, you can see the different compartments in a, in a um, dystrophic ma- animal where you have a lot of fibrosis and inflammation, those compartments could be mixed up. MRI in mice is a lot harder to interpret than, than you, you might think. And yes, you do get a correlation to physiology, but it's not as uh, one-to-one as you would think. You can't tell inflammation from fibrosis apart, for example. So clinically, it's interesting because that's one of the ways to look at the muscle, but I don't know how well it will translate into the mouse. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.